listening to the SLP Book Club. We're your hosts, Laura Geisert and Adrian Frost. This month, we're reading The Whole Brain Child by Daniel J. Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson. Let's get into it. Hi, Adrian. Hi, Laura. All right. So this episode, we are doing The Whole Brain Child, Chapter 1, Parenting with the Brain in Mind. A good one, honestly. In this chapter, it's really introducing the whole idea of using those moments, like we talked about in the introduction, using the moments in your everyday life to work on integrating your child's brain. So it starts out basically saying that parents are experts in their children's bodies, know everything about them, but know almost nothing about the brain. I would say as speech therapists, we probably think a little bit more about the brain, but maybe not. What do you think? Depends on your setting, I think. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. if you're medical, yeah. But I must confess, I probably would have to do a lot of Googling about the more specifics that we learned about in grad school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so they do say that the brain plays such a central role in all aspects of your child's life and that it's really important to understand how their brain will change in response to the way you parent or interact with them. I mean, I think in this book, they really, it's geared towards parents, but they explained in the intro, it's for anybody who's interacting with this child. So that's us, speech therapists working with these kids. They start with a story called the Woo story. Oh my gosh, heartbreaking. <laughs> I know. And this is just a way to explain how a parent uses this idea of integration to really um, make something that could have been really traumatic, more of an okay experience for the kid, a learning experience and a chance for integration. So basically this mom was called at work and told that her son was in a car accident with the babysitter and she rushes over there and the babysitter had had a seizure while she was driving and was taken away in an ambulance. And the kid kept telling his mom, Ia Woo Woo, which was the babysitter's name, Sophia, plus the sound of a siren. And and they're explaining he's focusing on the most important detail to him, that his babysitter, who he loved so much, was taken away from him in an ambulance. And they say many parents would use the let's go get some ice cream approach, which in our introduction episode, I told you is me. I am the let's go get some ice cream person. <laughs> like, tell the kid, don't worry, she'll be okay. Focus on something else. Like, why don't we go get some ice cream and try to make the kid forget. Well, I definitely relate to wanting to distract away from the uncomfortable or the scary, like even with students in the school setting, right? If they ever bring up something like being bullied, you know, or maybe something negative that happened at home or a pet passing away, right? Which is so sad, obviously a huge event for the child. It's really easy to want to just offer like a quick acknowledgement, you know, and then like move on, especially when you have other kids at the table, you don't want to spend five to 10 minutes going over this event and it can be uncomfortable, you know, and that's kind of hard to know the right balance. Yeah. And I feel like I've always had this fear of traumatizing kids further. I'm not a psychologist. Am I qualified? Like, where's the line? Am I, is it okay for me to talk further about the emotions around something I I was definitely just like oh I'm sorry that happened move on you know and I hate admitting that I don't like saying that I did that ever <laughs> I know I know but you in the moment it's hard and that's why this book is a great resource yeah because now you can have something in your back pocket where if something like that comes up you know you, you can know what to do because 
I definitely can relate to like, I've heard some stuff where, you know, you're kind of shocked. You're like, oh my gosh. And then you just try to like move on. So Absolutely. Don't worry, Laura. It's okay. normal. Okay. okay. <laughs> so the problem with the let's go get some ice cream approach that we're describing, the parents or us as speech therapists, if you're avoiding discussing what happened in the coming days, days following this event, the child will have big or scary emotions and they're not helped to deal with them in an effective way. So what this mom did was... Over those coming days, she helped her child retell the story repeatedly, and it helped him understand what happened and deal with it emotionally. So he told it, but then the mom was able to add in relevant factual information that helped him process it so that he wasn't just focused on what happened to the babysitter and being taken away. You know, she kind of was saying, Yes, she did. She, you, you got in an accident. She got taken away in an ambulance, but she's okay now. We went to see her at the hospital. You know, they, they kept talking about it and talking about it. And then they said that over those coming days, it just kind of faded and didn't become a bigger problem for him where he could have developed a lot of fears or phobias. About, I mean, that kind of thing could turn into a lot of stuff for a little kid, like a fear of riding in the car or, you know, of course, yeah. really big things if they don't process it in the right way. Yeah. I mean, I think it definitely goes against your instinct to want to bring it up over and over, right? And talk about it again and again. Yes. But I love the example because, I mean, the authors made it seem so easy. Like, you just talk about it matter-of-factly and then all of a sudden, like, he stops talking about it. Everything's better. I was like, wow, you know, why not give it a shot and see? Yes, just keep retelling it. It's it's so simple, but it does it does make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, me too. Then they describe why she did that and and basically what we're going to talk about in this whole book is the idea of integration. You're taking the different parts of your brain and helping them work together as a whole because your brain cannot perform at its best unless all the different parts are working together in a coordinated and balanced way. We all know these kids that aren't integrated. They said these are the kids that become really easily overwhelmed by their emotions, can't respond calmly, throw a lot of tantrums, have a lot of meltdowns. That's a sign that they are not using their brain in an integrated way. And the book is going to focus on both horizontal integration, so using the left brain and the right brain together. So the left, more logical side of your brain with the right brain, the emotional side, and then also vertical integration. So the higher part of your brain that's more thoughtful, working well with the lower part, which is more instinctual, your gut reactions, survival. They said that the brain is plastic or moldable. <sighs> I don't know if I should say this, but I felt like they acted as if this was really new really new research that our brains are plastic over the course. Okay. So when we were in grad school, <laughs> were we just told that children's brains are more plastic? No, because I remember they would talk about it specifically for people with TBIs. Right. It was like, if you have a TBI, you can expect so much improvement over a certain period of time because of neuroplasticity. But at some point you kind of reach like a wall, you know? Yeah. So when was this book? written <laughs> 2011 maybe that was sort of new knowledge but when we went through grad school we were pretty aware that the brain is plastic or moldable throughout the lifetime you can change your brain now as an adult you can do things that that change rewire your brain 
Well, I have to say it is a really positive way of thinking about it. And if they're talking about parents not really being familiar with the brain, which is true, then maybe most people don't really know that. Like maybe we just are wearing our SLP glasses and viewing the world as we always do. Like everyone knows everything we know. But in reality, what a beautiful thing to hear that a child can still reap the benefits if you change your approach. Nothing is forever and you can still rescue the situation, you know? Thank you for giving me that perspective. Yes. <laughs> yes. We're all guilty of it. It is. I, you know what? I totally did the thing. I did the SLP thing where I read it and I was like, ah, everyone knows that. I know. <laughs> we know experiences mold our brains. We have neurons in our brains that become active or fire. And when they fire together, they grow new connections between them. And over time, the connections that are built through firing leads to a rewiring in the brain. So we're not stuck with the way our brains work right now. They can be rewired so that we are healthier and happier. As SLPs, we think about this a lot, the rewiring of the brain. I think of this all the time when I'm working with stuttering and with articulation especially. You know, those kids that need a lot of work but are super, super talkative. And you just picture those pathways have been like so deeply built. But you, can, you know you can still, with lots and lots of practice, rewire. Absolutely. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, of course. <laughs> so they say that parents can provide experiences that will help their child develop a resilient and well-integrated brain and that it's really important to talk to children about their experiences because that leads to them having better access to their memories and talking to kids about their feelings leads to children developing emotional intelligence and understanding themselves, understanding feelings in themselves and others better, which I think it's so important. I feel like kids are not, it takes a lot of work for kids to have empathy, right? Definitely. And it's not something that comes naturally all the time to every kid, as we've also seen. Any opportunity, I mean, honestly, just thinking about leveling with the kid, talking about something that happened, listening to them, giving them space to talk about it, that probably makes such a huge difference just in itself. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. They use a metaphor when they're talking about the brain being integrated that individual singers in a choir could create a harmony that you cannot recreate with just one voice, which is such a beautiful way to think of the brain. Your that. brain, when it's integrated, is like a little choir with all the different places in your brain working together and doing so much more than they could do on their own. And we want to help kids use, use their brain in an integrated way so they have full capacity, full mental resources when they do face tricky situations. It will result in improved decision-making, better control of their body and emotions, a fuller self-understanding, stronger relationships, and more success in school. Well, I just kind of wanted to say I had a note about selective mutism because I think I was reading this part and really thinking, you know, selective mutism is kind of in that gray area where it's sort of a little bit more of a psychological thing. It's I mean, speech therapists deal with it a lot, but it's kind of requires more of like counseling approach a lot of the times. And if you can use something like this, maybe to offer a lot of support, you never know if that could help a shy child just be more confident overall. Like maybe something happened and it spurred on the mutism and they had an incident where they talked in school or in class and it was really scary or traumatic and they just you know, that became the whole thing for them. And now they don't want to talk at school. But if you could offer support in this way, 
I mean, they talk later about getting the child to talk to you about what happened, but I just thought, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can apply this in speech. And that was just something that kind of like stuck out in my brain. When they're at home and they are talking, do you think the parents kind of know what event triggered it usually? I'm not sure. See, that's the thing that's hard is when it's situational, it's like the parents often seem so baffled and they don't get it. And so, you know, it's complicated, but I could see maybe if you could get the child to talk about their fear or whatever is causing them to not want to talk, maybe you could retell the story and it might fix things to some extent. Yeah, that's true. You could, you could kind of do a hypothetical too. Like what would happen at school if you talked? Could something bad happen? You know, maybe the kid has a fear, a specific fear of something that will happen and you can talk about how they'd feel and what they could do, you know? Definitely. I mean, we'll, I think we'll get more into those types of things. They kind of talk about how to do that later in the later chapters, but yeah, this book has so much, it applies to so much that we do. <laughs> as speech therapists. It's really getting the gears turning. It really is. <laughs> okay, so then at the end of this chapter, they kind of throw in this definition of mental health. And I'm curious your thoughts on this, because I am never going to claim to be any sort of expert in mental health. But Daniel J. Siegel has proposed this definition where you're in a river of well-being and that you're floating down the peaceful river. So when you're in a state of mental health, you're floating down the middle of the river, you have a good relationship with yourself and with others, you're flexible and you're stable and at peace. But if on one bank there's chaos and the other represents rigidity. So if you're not integrated, you might veer towards the bank of chaos or veer over towards rigidity. Examples of kids being too rigid is when they won't share their toys or being chaotic is throwing uncontrollable tantrums. So if you're helping a child to be more integrated and use their brain in an integrated way, you're going to help them just like float down the middle of this river. How do you feel about it? <laughs> yeah, I thought it was interesting, like rigidity as trying to control everything and then the chaos being completely out of control. I think we've all seen examples of both of those, but I mean, it's kind of complicated because I think of, again, a lot of kids on the autism spectrum that struggle so much with rigidity. And I off, you can often see those kids also going between the two, like being really super rigid. And then if something goes wrong and whatever they are trying to control is challenged, then it's like full chaos. Yeah. So I think those are the kinds of kids who could really benefit from, you know, being more in the middle of the river to use the metaphor. Yeah. But no, I mean, I, I like, I just, I think it felt a little too simplistic for me. Well, I really like, I think they were really plugging it. Like in the book, she was talking about how this has become a more accepted way of thinking about That's mental right. health. So, And I think we're in this book, we're also going to see so many water metaphors. Do you know what I mean? They're going to talk about waves and rivers and, you know, like everything is water based. Yeah, it's flowing. <laughs> they love a water. Uh, yeah, they love a water metaphor. So the chaos and the rigidity, it did. It definitely brought to mind kids on the autism spectrum. It just, it does feel a little simple to just say, we just want to float down the middle of a river. Well, we'll get into it as we talk about this 
these two because I've been trying to implement them with my own daughter. Ah. She's four and like the tantrums are, you know, frequent. It's intense and the pendulum swings wildly. That's all I'll say. And I do think <laughs> the book simplifies things a lot overall. Like, as I'm trying to use the techniques, it's not perfect. And I think Again, every child is so unique that maybe some kids are much more susceptible to the techniques in the book and others are a little bit more resistant and it just sort of depends on the child. Yeah, so. absolutely. All right. So my takeaway from this chapter was basically just that in any situation, when you're working with a child, parenting a child, you can kind of gauge whether they're being too left brain or too right brain or higher brain, lower brain, and then you can help them work through it in an integrated way, retell the story, talk about their emotions, basically just get all those parts of their brain working. And I think as we read, as we keep going, we're going to learn more details about vertical and horizontal integration, and it's going to be great. It's going to get pretty good, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So do you have any other thoughts, Adrian? No, you know, I know that there's lots of good stuff coming up. So I think I want to encourage everybody to, you know, stay in the middle of the river this week. I wish you a balanced, <laughs> a balanced metaphor of your life and don't go too close to either bank. <laughs> All right, so that's going to wrap it up for the Whole Brain Child Chapter 1. We will see you soon with our next episode, which will be the Whole Brain Child Chapter 2. All right, bye, Adrian. Bye, Laura. The SLP Book Club is not just a podcast. It's a community. Go to patreon.com slash the SLP Book Club to become a member, join the discussion, and get access to tons of bonus content that will help you implement the strategies you learn as you read. We are making all episodes for the first two months of the SLP Book Club available to everyone wherever you get your podcasts. After the first two months, most episodes will only be available to Patreon members. Our Patreon subscribers also have access to our private Facebook group where we discuss each month's book, handouts summarizing each chapter of the books we read, and really amazing printables that go along with each book and can be used directly with the children you work with in speech therapy. You can become a Patreon subscriber for only $8 per month, which will give you access to our community and all the resources we create to accompany these books. To learn more about the SLP Book Club, go to theslpbookclub.com. You can contact us by emailing hello at theslpbookclub.com. Follow us on Instagram at SLP underscore book club.